Hulk Hogan, certainly very popular. Oh, what is this? No, he's going to do it again. No, no. His career very well could be over. They've got clippers. They're shaving off the mustache. But they're doing a job. They are taking him apart. Welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, the internet's only weekly chronological audio critique of 1995 WCW Monday Nitro. I am your host, as always, Tim Root, and with me, as ever, Dave Amantorp. Dave, how are you doing today? That was a world-class introduction to the podcast there. Oh, well, thank you very much. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 years of nitro or on Twitter at 20 years of nitro. And you can also email the show 20 years of nitro at gmail.com. So basically, if you remember 20 years of nitro, you'll find us on any sort of social media. Anyway, today is October 9th, 1995, and we are coming to you from Chicago, Illinois at the Rosemount Horizon. We are in front of a crowd of 8,500 people, 4,458 of which paid to get in. W- wait, what? Yeah, 4,458, so about a little over half paid okay. to get in. And uh, that was for a total gate of $54,040. Uh, $54, Don't want to forget that last 40. And, and this was hyped up from last week because uh, Steve Mongo McMichael was a Chicago Bear, so we're coming back to... Where people love Mongo. Yeah, and uh, the cold. Uh, this is the first Nitro where we get a cold open before the uh, introduction. Uh, and this features a little recap of the Dungeon of Doom's drag queen attack on Hulk Hogan last week. <laughs> yes. uh, with them coming out, uh, throwing powder in Hogan's eyes, attacking him. Uh, while Kevin Sullivan was dressed as an old lady and then having the giant break his neck uh, for the second time in in like three or four weeks. And it's good to get a replay right away so we can get that all the way and not have any further replays. Of yeah, I'm sure we won't action. be seeing that again. Bischoff calls this the number one wrestling program in the country. Uh, different ways of adding up the math on that. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, you could you could legitimately make that claim, but I think WWF would also be able to legitimately make that claim. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a bit dubious at best, but uh, not not that outrageous. Do you, do you think that he was adding the replay number onto their number? Well, that could be, except for in looking into it a little more, I found that uh, Raw was also getting replayed on Thursdays. Um, oh, okay. But it has to do with not only the rating, but the market share, because these shows weren't always on at the same time and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. So, um, And he might be talking about WCW as a whole with all their shows added up, and they had a lot of programs because they had um, – I've been reading Bischoff's book, and he talks about how they had Nitro, Saturday Night, uh, Main Event, mm-hmm. 
we see a clip from something called WCW Pro, oh, which I'd never okay. heard of before. And then they had several international syndicated shows that were not even shown in the States. So they had a lot of programming. So maybe wow. if you add all that up is where he's coming up with that. Okay. Uh, so we first see the announcers. They're facing away from the camera so that we can see their custom Bears uniforms. Yeah. Uh, Bobby's, Bobby's number on the back of his jersey is a question mark, but he has it tucked <laughs> into his really high trousers because yes. he's an old man. So it just looks kind of like a weird two and yeah. completely ruins the joke. <laughs> Uh, they're facing the wrong way. Mongo actually picks up Bischoff and, and turns him around towards the camera. And then he looks over at Bobby and Bobby just goes, I know how to turn around. <laughs> <laughs> Heenan tells us also that the Dungeon of uh, Doom has had a restraining order taken out on them. Uh, he's not really clear on it at this moment, but they kind of get into it later in the show. It's WCW officials have placed a restraining order to bar the Dungeon of Doom from the building seems like that would be unnecessary they're they're the promoter of this event if they don't want you on their show can't they just tell you that you're well i guess maybe they're afraid that they'll ignore that i don't know and and also the giant's going to be in their title match at the next pay-per-view so why are they barring him from the ring right yeah it's it's questionable decision making at best unless, we'll, we'll unless, see how that restraining order holds unless up. they feel like the feud between hogan and giants so huge that They'll just destroy each other beforehand. I guess, but apparently that's okay if it happens at Halloween Havoc. Like, if one of these guys mm. kills each other, <laughs> God damn it, it's going to be on pay-per-view. <laughs> right. we're, we're not giving that away on free TV. <laughs> uh, so at the beginning, uh, before we go to any matches or anything, we get uh, a reappearance of the old Nitro trope that we've only seen once so far, but you uh, told us that we can look forward to seeing it many more times, and that is the invasion of the broadcast booth by yes. a wrestler. Mm-hmm. In this case, it is Sting, uh, and he comes out to tell us that the problems between his friends Macho Man and Lex Luger have got to stop. He has got a solution, and he's going to reveal it later in the show. So he just really wanted to hype us up for his conflict uh, negotiation skills. <laughs> and more so that than the actual United States title match that he has to go down to the ring and have. Right. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't mention anything about defending his championship. Yeah, and defend it he will against the Shark, who... Uh, <laughs> Is, as we mentioned in a previous episode, John Tenta, formerly Earthquake in uh, the WWF and formerly Avalanche in WCW. Interestingly enough, he is billed as being from the Tsunami. I I, I wrote that down. (laughs) (laughs) Also, they say he's over 500 pounds and there's he's probably about 350. Yeah, they are inflating the shit out of that weight. (laughs) That is not even close. Like he's a big guy, but 500 pounds is ridiculous. And uh, did you know, uh, speaking of John Tenta and his, his former gimmicks, have you heard about his tattoo? And you should probably just say no, so I have an excuse to tell a story. No, the I haven't. <laughs> so he was a Louisiana State uh, University grad, proud tiger, and he had a tiger tattoo on his arm, which you can see in any of his matches as Earthquake. Mm-hmm. When they gave him the gimmick of the shark, he volunteered to have the tattoo turned into a shark. <laughs> And if you look at it, it's just it looks mostly like a big, horrible smudge on his arm now. But if you look, you can actually make out that they have turned his uh, nice tiger tattoo into this awful shark tattoo for this goddamn gimmick. Wow. That poor guy uh, who, from all reports that I've ever read, any interviews or anything, he's supposed to be just a sweetheart, a hell of a guy. Yeah. So I just feel so terrible for him. And, and so far, I would say that the shark... And Nitro are associated from the uh, 
that previous match with Randy Savage and Scott Norton. With him collapsing on Scott Norton's legs. Yes. Yeah. So oh. I don't know if that was how he earned the title shot or... That's a great... <laughs> what has he done? I, That's a I good question. I, I don't think he's wrestled. I Usually Bishop will mention if someone earned a right on Saturday night or pro or something like that. But nope, it's just the shark coming out for a title match. With that, we get uh, to hear the 90s rockin' sounds of a man called Sting. Mm-hmm. And uh, what do you think of this song? It's It sounds really dated, but I kind of like it. As far as, it, I mean, if you know what you're getting into. It's a 90s wrestling entrance theme. Yeah. it's I, I like it. I think it's pretty memorable. It suits the character. Yeah, when I think of uh, the previous Sting, the surfer with the bleach blonde hair and everything, mm-hmm. that song just, like, pops up. Absolutely. So... Yeah, it did. It absolutely did its job as far as selling what kind of character he was. And I, I, I guess I have a, a hard time trying to describe like what his first character—not so much the darker character, but mm-hmm. this character. I mean, other than kind of like a surfer dude. Yeah, he's not exactly a surfer now. I don't know what he is. He's a good wrestler, mm-hmm. and he's a top baby face. His character right now is mostly defined as the the one top baby face who trusts Lex Luger. Like really, as far as Nitro goes, if uh, you know, if we're taking the rest of WCW out of the picture and we're only focusing on what we've seen, yeah. Sting's character has been completely defined by his relationship to Lex Luger mm-hmm. and how that impacts his relationships with Macho Man and Hulk Hogan. Yeah, and, and in previous years, before Nitro started, he was also known as the guy that kind of trusts everyone. Right. To his own detriment. And it looks like that trend is continuing, uh, which we'll talk <laughs> about in a little bit with his storyline with Flair. Right. Sting does not come out of the entranceway, uh, the normal like way that everyone does from the back. I think it's because he's hustling down from the announce booth still. Right. So he just all of a sudden, the camera kind of pans over further down the uh, aisleway, mm-hmm. and he's standing there, and he... <laughs> He's really kind of charming in this off-the-cuff moment. He looks at the cameraman and just says, that's right, I snuck up on you because I am a sneaky guy. (laughs) There's nothing about the character that's sneaky at all. So I really, it was fun just seeing him just speaking um, so improvisationally. I really really got a kick out of that. This match starts off with the shark uh, giving Sting a big body slam and a leg drop. Uh, Then he basically stands up and kind of, Gets hit by Sting and ends up in the corner with his back to Sting. Sting mm-hmm. hits him with a Stinger Splash, which uh, Shark is way out of position for. Uh, Stinger Splash, he's supposed to be basically against the turnbuckles and get splashed between Sting and the turnbuckles. But he's a good foot and a half away. So when he gets hit, he kind of jumps forward into the turnbuckles. Yeah. And then they do it again, the exact same spot. And he's out of position in the exact same way the second time. Uh, I, I wasn't sure if he just didn't want to take... The splash, like maybe it's too uncomfortable. I I wasn't really clear on why it happened that way. Did you have any theories? N- not really. I I feel like sometimes they did the the guy like facing the turnbuckle do the stinger splash. Yeah. Um. I I don't know. Like you said, I don't know why they did it. I think three times, and the third time doesn't he launch himself on top of the turnbuckle? Yeah, he really jumps up on that last. Yeah, one. that. The physics of that did not make any sense yeah. to me. Sting then goes up to the top rope and hits a flying cross body block, which he also used as his finisher against Ric Flair back in our premiere episode. So he's kind of using that as a finisher. right? And now. he also defeated VK Wall Street that way. Oh, yeah, that's correct. 
Yep. Yeah, because the, the oh yeah, in their premiere it was actually a disqualification yeah. when Arn came out. You're right. Yeah. So, so he, yeah, it was just the VK Wall Street. Yeah. Match. So he beat VK Wall Street with that, and then he beat the Shark. And I I didn't know whether or not if they're trying to introduce like a new finisher for him. Right. Or, uh, yeah. That. Well, that's something we'll keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. For sure. That is uh, at about 90 seconds the shortest match that we've seen on Nitro so far, <laughs> um, by by a country mile, really. The announcers during this uh, are talking a little bit about the situation with Hogan and the Dungeon of Doom. They keep comparing the shaving of Hogan's mustache to the removal of his dignity. And I just really question if if that much of his dignity is wrapped up in his facial hair. (laughs) It might be time for a personal reflection. Like if he was just shaven and nicked it by accident, does he lose like a portion of his dignity that way? <laughs> right. Oh no, <laughs> no, brother. And then he like holds up a convenience store. <laughs> uh, maybe he was just no. I'm not. I was gonna go to the racist stuff. Yeah, but I'm just yeah, not yeah, gonna yeah. touch it. <laughs> when, when you said convenience store, I'm like, oh, <laughs> so that's the route we're going. At this point, we go to a goddamn recap video. Of last week's attack on Hulk Hogan. And this mm-hmm. it's the exact same stuff that was covered in the cold open, but longer. Yes. Yeah, I when I was watching this, I made a note that, oh, I guess we're gonna have a replay, but then it shows the full replay of last week. Yeah, and it's it's much longer, so I'm really confused why they put the cold open in there, especially because and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, the show feels incredibly rushed. Like they're trying to jam in way too much stuff. Okay. So I don't know why they had a 25 second version of the story and then played a three minute version of the same story within the same 15 minute time period. And they managed to like shoehorn a 90 second match in there. Yeah. (laughs) Just really, really weird kind of uh, layout for the show. That'll bring us to our first commercial break. And as we come back from that, Sabu makes a way to uh, his way to the ring During this uh, entrance, Bischoff kind of takes the time to clarify for us the upcoming uh, sumo monster truck match. Because before, they've just kind of mentioned that it's a sumo monster truck match Mm -hmm. without really any explanation. So this is the first time on Nitro, at least, that the concept's been sort of fleshed out. He explains that there will be a 100-foot diameter circle, uh, and the two monster trucks will be uh, chained together at their bumper, and then they will drag each other around that circle, trying to push each other out of the circle. So that's the first explanation. Uh, I'm glad at least at some point prior to the pay-per-view, they explained what a monster truck sumo match is. Because right. they kept talking about it to this point, like that's something that you know what it is. And I'm not a big monster truck expert, but I don't think they actually do that at monster truck shows. <laughs> I don't think that's a real event. Do you Have you ever been to a monster truck show? No, I haven't. We should uh. fix that. We should go to a monster truck show. <laughs> Sabu has kind of a new entrance. Uh, the lights are dark now, and he comes out with, like, red light. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of liked it. It was it was cool. And this being a Chicago crowd, they're, they're a pretty smarky audience. Yes. Um, so this is one of the few – well, I shouldn't say one of the few. We've only seen him twice. But comparatively to his first appearance, this crowd knows Sabu. They actually get a Sabu chant going at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not exactly alive uh, for the entirety of the match. But they do, they do at least know who Sabu is, and they know what to expect, unlike that first audience uh, in whatever town that was that seemed just stunned that this guy was doing all this crazy shit. Right, yeah. He will be taking on Mr. JL, <laughs> <laughs> who, uh, 
who is just a, a masked Jerry Lynn. Right. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't believe they couldn't come up with something better than Mr. JL, which does not roll off the tongue in the slightest. It just seems like a directly letting you know that they're not using Jerry Lynn as his name. Jerry Lynn is a, uh, he's making his WCW debut here. He's a Minneapolis born wrestler and he's had stints in Jim uh, Cornette's Smoky Mountain Wrestling, as well as the Dallas based Global Wrestling Federation. So WCW is is really the biggest organization he's worked for. A lot of these cruiserweight types have gone through ECW, and certainly Jerry Lynn will go on to accomplish a lot in ECW, mm-hmm. but he's not been there prior to coming to WCW. This is, this is really his first national exposure. Sabu takes control of the match early with punches and uh, some kind of springboard leg drops. Or not really springboard. He, he grabs the top rope and flips over it and does a leg drop. Uh, at this point... The crowd moves on to loud Hogan sucks chants. And it sounds like Bischoff gets a little shaken by this. It, it, I, he, it seems like when he notices it, there's a pause where he's like, oh, shit, are they chanting Hogan sucks? <laughs> Gone through plate glass windows, through doors. He'll sacrifice anything to hurt his opponent. You know, that is the kind of opponent you need to be scared of and quivering there, Mr. Heenan, because that man will use any means necessary. Oh, no! Not to just defeat you, but to humiliate you. Tremendous offense from Mr. JL. Oh, nice back leg round kick right to the shoulder plate. We have had some crowds that haven't been as enthusiastic about Hogan, but we have not had a crowd do anything like chant Hogan sucks. This is really, right. uh, it really stands out, their reaction to Hogan, and that'll come into play later in the show as well. Yeah, and with this match with uh, Sabu getting a lot of offense. Um, you can kind of uh, notice that he his improvisation, improvisational skills. There we go. <laughs> are it's just kind of erratic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, the more you watch, the more it looks like he's trying to figure out what to do next. Right. Uh, he'll even he'll set up a chair and then not immediately know what he's going to do with the chair. Yeah, it, it always seems like in a Sabu match, he tries to do 50 things mm-hmm. and 20 of them just miss completely. And right. maybe another like six of them kind of half connect. But then whatever, I'm so bad at math, whatever number is left right. of those 50 things <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> look look incredible. Yeah. So that's kind of the deal with Sabu. You, you kind of get the bad, but you get the good and, and you just kind of, he's the only guy who does a lot of the stuff he does. So you just end up saying, all right. You're going to fuck up a bunch, but I'm going to like the other stuff. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure that some of the misses are because his opponent has no idea what he's going to go for. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Mr. JL and him have pretty good chemistry, though, I think, overall. they It works better than the match with Alex Wright did. Yeah, yep, I agree. Uh, Mr. JL ends up on the outside, and Sabu flips over the top rope to uh, land on him. He then does his uh, jumping off the chair for a kick to JL's face against the metal guardrail. They get back in the ring, and he hits a belly-to-back for a two-count. JL hits a big drop kick. Sabu gets uh, some offense, including a springboard moonsault. Then he gets uh, Mr. JL in a like kind of half-camel clutch. Like a half-assed camel clutch. <laughs> and Mongo <laughs> says, this is a submission hold. <laughs> That's why they pay him the big bucks. <laughs> JL gets back into it. Uh, he hits a top rope draping DDT a la Scott Norton back in uh, episode two, the Randy Orton oh, yep. uh, draping DDT off, but going off the top rope. Mm-hmm. Seems to be the way WCW likes to do it. 
He then goes up to the top, um, and Cebu goes for a top rope per Karana, but JL manages to hold on. JL then kind of jumps at him, and as he jumps, he tilts backwards, and Cebu ends up holding his legs. And it looks like to me that Cebu is supposed to grab him and powerbomb him. But yeah. it, what ends up happening is JL just jumps off the rope, bumps on his back for no reason, and Cebu grabs his legs. <laughs> it's it's really awkward looking. Um, Cebu then locks on the shitty camel clutch for the win. Uh, so that's our match. Cebu then continues to attack Mr. JL, but we just cut back to the announcers. Uh, so we continue to hear the fans cheer, and we kind of hear mm-hmm. the attack in the background, but we don't get to see any of it. They're hyping uh, Hogan and Sting's appearances later in the show instead. Yeah. And uh, according to the Wrestling Observer, uh, Sabu actually puts Mr. JL through a table. And the cameras just don't bother to show any of that. Again, this episode ends up feeling rushed a lot. um, But as you'll see, uh, by the end, they certainly could have included this spot and still showed the announcers talking. Right. So, yeah, the layout of this episode is just completely off whack. And and during this too, you'll note you'll notice Sting and Luger get into the ring and kind of do the commercial break, kind of pacing around sort of right. deal. It, it's really weird when they're talking with the announcers because the announcers are always having their backs to the ring. Right. So when you're not seeing the action, you can see what you're missing, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, another another thing when. I just wanted to mention this when it came to Sabu because I just when he did it, I thought it was funny. I think it's when Mr. JL goes for the drop kick from the top. Yeah. Uh, Sabu stands up and he does his point to the sky. Yeah. Um, and I think the last time he wrestled, he did the point to the sky when it was another instance where he was clearly going to get hit with something. <laughs> and I don't know if that was, I don't know why he does that, but I just thought it was really funny. Bischoff throws it to Mean Gene, who is in the ring with the aforementioned Sting and Lex Luger. Sting uh, gets right to the point and asks Macho to come out to them. So I thought that was funny. Sting and Luger uh, can just get the little walk down to the ring in silence yeah. while the announcers are talking. Macho gets a full entrance. Yes. So we know you can you can really tell from little things like that who has sway mm-hmm. in WCW. And and Luger, as far as his outfit is concerned, I mean he's wearing like a like a like a suit but with jeans. Yeah. And he really seems like he has like the padded shoulders. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> One dude in the crowd that they show during Macho's entrance is just intensely yelling, fuck you and flipping off the bird with both hands at Macho Man. Like I've never seen someone wow. hate Macho Man so much, especially babyface Macho Man. Like I don't really love what he's doing right now, the program and, and his feuds and his in-ring work. But I would never yell, fuck you. Like, that's outrageous. It's Macho Man. I, that almost sounds like he, the fan tried to get an autograph before the show and Macho Man blew him off or something like that. Oh, that could be. <laughs> yeah, maybe Macho, like, fucked his wife or something. <laughs> I just I just said not sign an autograph. You just go way... I had to escalate it. <laughs> uh, Sting then has a proposal for Macho Man and Luger, which uh, we will play for you now. What's the solution, Sting? Hey, Macho! Listen to me, if you guys will just listen. Can't you see what's going on around here? The Giant is winning the game. The Giant has choke slammed Hogan. He's choke slammed you. He's choke slammed you. 
and he's gonna go on chokeslamming around here. Oh, and what about that? How come he's chokeslammed Luger and me and he's destroyed Hogan? How come he hasn't put his hands on you, Stinger? How would you like to say something about that I right now? I got something to say about it. First of all, you're paranoid, Macho. You're real paranoid. Oh, really? And you're real insecure. I got no reason for that. I have no idea. But I got a problem here. We all want to be world heavyweight champion here at WCW. Everybody who puts on a pair of tights wants to be champion. We've all been there one time or another, haven't we? That's exactly right. That What's makes, your point? That makes us Make want it. point. Let me tell you something. You shut up right now and don't slap anybody in the face. You might slap the wrong person, okay? Oh, really? what I have to Is say. Is that right? Just listen. Halloween Havoc. You gotta face Ming. You gotta face Kamala. You pull off a win if you pull off a win against Kamala. And if you pull off a win against Ming, I say you guys go at it. I like it! Whoa, 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 wait just a second. We talked about a rematch. I agreed to a rematch, but I didn't say anything about Halloween Havoc. I've got a big match with Ming. You're putting words in my mouth. Sting, Sting. Oh, man. That is pathetic. You're putting words into my mouth. What kind of... You are disgusting. Are you the total package? You don't look like the total package, man. I've been sticking up for you left and right around here, and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of being a babysitter. So let me tell you, are you up for it? Are you up for the match against Macho Man? Yes or no? Yes or no? At Halloween Havoc, gentlemen. I guess I'm not even talking to the total package, am I? Yes, you are talking to the total package. And don't you ever forget it. I'll take care of business in Halloween Havoc. If you can do the same, I'll see you in the ring. So as you heard there, uh, Sting's idea seems to be that the way to get these two to stop fighting is to, at Halloween Havoc, make them have individual matches that they have to win. And then if they win, they can fight each other in another match. Right. Dave, how is this going to solve the problems between the <laughs> Macho Man and Lex Luger? Well, for one thing, considering how confident Sting was in his like perfect solution, it doesn't feel like a perfect solution. And also... Sting, like, he goads Lex Luger into accepting this. He flat out questions his manhood. Like, right. It's it's outrageous. If I were Lex, not even the character, but the real, if I were Lex Luger, yeah. I would be kind of mad at the way that Sting did that promo. Yeah. Because it made, it made Lex, who is not supposed to be a chicken shit heel or anything, mm-hmm. it made him look like a complete bitch. Uh, yeah. That he only would accept this when he was just completely pushed into it. Yeah. Whereas Macho right away was like, yes, I will do that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and Luger first says that, you know, you should have asked me first before like accepting this on my behalf. Yeah. Because it's, I, then, I don't want to, I don't want to wrestle two matches in one night. Yeah. That's a perfectly acceptable uh, stance to have. Yeah. But then Sting just like, I thought you were the total package. I guess I was wrong. And I, Luger is pretty much guilted into doing this. Just thank God for Sting that Luger or Mean Gene didn't bother to ask, well, how is that going to solve the problem? Because there's no <laughs> right? way that Sting could have uh, given a, a 
any kind of explanation for yeah. why that would make sense. Right. But anyway, at the at the uh, pay-per-view, Lex is going to face Meng. Randy Macho Man Savage is going to face Kamala. And if they can win those individual matches, then they will get their hands on each other. Yeah. Which I also, I don't really like that way of promoting a show either. Because if, I, if I'm somebody out there who wants to see Macho Man versus Lex... It doesn't make me want to buy the show to think that they might wrestle each other. Just tell me they're going to wrestle each other. Yeah. I guess they're just padding the card out. I, I, I don't know. That brings us to a commercial. Oh, uh, and but right right before this segment ends, Randy Savage, makes he made sure to just like shoehorn at the very end. Like, by the way, I still want the world title. Right. Yeah. As, as the other two leave. And then, which kind of threw me off because I was like, well, Luger had the title shot that he put on the line against Savage and right. he won that match. Does Luger have this title shot? Is he offering it again? Yeah, amazingly, Luger manages to accept a match without offering more of right. his most valuable possessions. Uh, maybe, further maybe he was saying that in case Luger was like, well, oh, yeah. comes back in the <laughs> ring. Uh, so, okay, so then we go to commercial, and as we come back from that, we see... Uh, I wasn't sure if this was outside the arena or if this was outside CNN Tower down in Atlanta. But we see Chris Benoit arrive somewhere in a limo Mm -hmm. and come out and kind of say, so this is where the big boys play, you know, kind of to himself. Uh, And then we come back to the arena and fucking A, it's Disco Inferno, baby. I I just wanted to make a comment about the Chris Benoit thing. Yeah. His mullet is unlike, uh, you know, they're they're talking about how Chris Benoit had honed his skills in Canada, mm-hmm. in the Middle East, and in Japan. But really, I think he was sculpting that mullet because <laughs> it was something else. It was flared out in the back. It was just wow. Yeah, it no, amazing. it's very impressive. And, and by the way, in that segment, they don't mention Chris Benoit's name. Eric Bischoff has to bring it up afterwards, <laughs> which seemed kind of like a weird thing. Well, he we'll talk about it a little more in depth when he makes his Nitro debut next week. But he'd actually had a stint in WCW before. He's kind of mm-hmm. like Scott Norton, where this is a re-debut uh, rather than a straight-up debut. So maybe that's why. I, maybe they were hoping that some, or uh, thinking that some people would know who he was. Anyway, Disco Inferno is in the entranceway dancing. Uh, and again, this is like last time we saw this where... Bischoff will go on about how he's not scheduled to be in this match. He's not sure why he's there dancing. Right. Um, what I really like this, they kind of up the stakes this week in a really delightful way. Uh-huh. Uh, when, when they cut his music and put on big Bubba's music, disco grabs a boom box yeah. <laughs> and it's play and his music keeps playing. And now he's holding this giant boom box while dancing. And I loved it. I was like, yeah. a, I was clapping at my TV to yeah. see them find a way to up the stakes uh, so I really hope they continue to find ways to do that because it was really funny. And not only that, but um, after he has the boom box, the, the camera comes back up towards him. And then you could hear it actually yeah. coming out of the <laughs> yeah. boom box. Like, yeah, it's genuinely playing. <laughs> right. Uh, Road Warrior Hawk comes out and does not think that Disco is nearly as funny as I do. And he kind of intimidates uh, Disco into running off. Uh-huh. Um, at this point, Mongo calls... Uh, Disco a third party candidate for some reason <laughs> like as, uh, as if the match is an election between the two parties and then there's a third party who is Disco Inferno I, who maybe can win the match through some 
bizarre rules that Mongo would need to explain to us. Also, when Disco Inferno came out, uh, Mongo was very upset, and he said that Disco Inferno was giving him a chafe. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ, Mongo. That's disturbing. Disco uh, grabs a fan's hat off his head and then puts it on Hawk's shoulder pads. Uh, Michael Hawk Hegstrand is currently a solo act as uh, his normal tag team partner, Road Warrior Animal, is out on a lengthy hiatus due to a back injury. Uh, And Hawk has been splitting his time between uh, WCW, where he's mainly a singles competitor, and New Japan, where he's just tagging up with sort of other random people that they throw him with. So that's what he's been doing in the meantime. And also, Hawk, back at Clash of the Champions in the middle of August, had his arm broken by Kurosawa. Oh, that dastardly Japanese Kurosawa. But his broken arm seems to have healed very nicely. Yeah, oh, it's fine. Yeah. Well, it's not like, even if it was broken, it's not like Hawk's going to sell anything in <laughs> any match ever. <laughs> the crowd chants LOD, uh, apparently mad that Animal's not there, or just in support of Hawk and, and all that he has done in the tag team division over right. the years. Bubba takes control of this match early uh, with a lot of this. This basically this match is a lot of whip you into the corner, punch you, mm-hmm. maybe a clothesline is like the most exciting things we get. Uh, eventually, Hawk hits a power slam, uh, but at that point, Disco pops. Disco Inferno pops up on the apron and starts dancing. Uh, Hawk rips off Disco's shirt and chases him down the aisle yep. and gets counted out. <laughs> so this match was about two minutes long. This would be the shortest match we'd seen on Nitro in any episode if that Sting and Shark match hadn't just happened yeah. 15 minutes earlier. I like how they brought um, Hawk back after his previous Nitros and not having him, and they just made him look like the stupidest man alive. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. This doesn't really get anyone over except for probably Disco Inferno yeah. as being an annoying little douchebag, which is like what he's delightful at doing. Yeah, I mean, the f- I really enjoy Disco Inferno, obviously, so I really liked it. But yeah, if you remove the benefit that he gets, the match is pretty shitty and doesn't help you, those two guys. We get a commercial break, and as we come back from that, Mean Gene is in the ring, and he welcomes Hulk Hogan the reaction, uh, well, you know what? Let's just listen to the reaction and Hogan's subsequent uh, promo right now. Welcome back, America, to WCW Monday Nitro as we welcome to the Windy City the WCW heavyweight champion of the world, Hulk Hogan! Chicago along with Jimmy Hart 
could hear the response of this crowd, obviously, to your attire. This is not usual attire for you. Let me tell you something, Mean Gene. Keep your mouth shut for a minute. And you, Jimmy Hart, my best friend and confidant, I don't want to hear a word out of you, brother. I'm here, head to toe in all black, brother, because the games are over, dude. It's time to take care of all the family business, brother. Now that I know the rules of the game, now that Kevin Sullivan and the Big Giant have to face Hulkamania, I'm going to play their game, brother. And just like I took Andre the Giant in the Pontiac Silverdome and beat him in the middle of the ring, if his son, that no-good stinky giant, has the guts to come out here right now, brother, I'll rip this neck brace off and I'll beat him right in the middle of this ring, brother. Well, that's not going to happen, Hulk Hogan. Let me tell you why. There is a restraining order, an injunction. He has been barred from the Rosemont Horizon tonight. Well, if that nasty giant is as bad as he says he is, he'll get out here right now. But let me tell you a little history about Hulkamania. A long time ago, brother, in the New York City area, brother, when Hulkamania was running wild, the promoter's ego got bigger than the wrestling business. And as Hulk Hogan pulled his troops out, the red and the yellow little holsters, a couple years down the road, as we speak, that promoter is dying and choking on his own ego. That's why the WCW, I was looking for a place for Hulkamania to grow, for the little holsters to become Redwoods. And now that I'm here, Kevin Sullivan is the man that wants to burn all the trees in the forest. The giant is the one that wants to chop those little Hulkamaniacs down. But I'm here to plant the seeds. I'm here to face him right now. So where is he? Well, he is not going to be allowed in the building. You'll have your chance in Detroit at Halloween Havoc on October the 29th. Oh, I know all about Detroit and Halloween Havoc. And if that giant's not man enough to face me eye to eye for the first time in Detroit, Michigan, because he shaved Hulk Hogan's mustache off Kevin Sullivan and that giant, they might as well have put graffiti on the Washington Monument, brother. They might as well have burnt the American flag, brother, because no, 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 well, nothing. When I get him in Detroit, brother, I'm going to take that giant and I'm going to bury machine against machine. And after I put that giant in his place, the last thing I'll do with my immortality is beat gorgeous George up in heaven. So what's that giant going to do, brother? He's going to face me. What's he going to do, brother? Hold on. Our cameras are outside. Apparently, the giant has showed up. What do you mean he's outside? Apparently Kevin Sullivan and a giant have shot up in a monster truck. So Dave, what did you think of that promo? And uh, maybe more importantly, what did you think of the WCW faithful in Chicago booing the shit out of Hulk Hogan? For the time, that's really surprising. Um, especially in the up into up through like the mid nineties, I, I feel like lots of crowds kind of react how they're supposed to be reacting. Right. Uh, even, if, even if they didn't like Hogan, it'd be, you would expect more, like, no reaction, fans kind of sitting on their hands. But they made it made it known that Chicago is not Hulk Hogan country or, a, or right. whatever. And Chicago has a reputation in, you know, this day and age for being a very smarky town. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting to see that 20 years ago they were very much the same way. Because when you think about 
when you hear about um, how some markets in WCW rejected Hogan, those typically have been painted as Southern markets that were more invested in Ric Flair and the Horsemen. Yeah. So it's interesting to see Chicago, which is, you know, as not, uh, well, I don't want to say anti-South, but just they're, it's not the South. It's about as far away as you can get. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're clearly very much against Hogan. And Mean Gene tries to spin it as the crowd reacting to seeing Hogan wearing black, uh, that they're just upset by this. But they, well, A, that would ignore the Hogan sucks chant that happened 15 minutes before he came out. Right. And B, it, it ignores the fact that they boo from the second he his name is mentioned, and he doesn't actually appear in the entranceway for another 15, 20 seconds. Just the idea of him. Yeah, so they're booing, they're booing long before they see what color clothes he's wearing. Mm-hmm. Hogan is wearing black, and he's kind of towing the line for a character change. He's not... It doesn't seem like he's fully... He's not fully turning heel. Yeah. Because he still talks about Hulkamaniacs, and he still is facing the giant uh, who's dirty and stinky and nasty. Yeah. Um, but he's very much focused on, like, kind of the the dark side of things, and he's wearing the all black. It's It seems like they might be trying things out for how Hogan could work as a heel. Um, or at least they're seeing how this character change is received. And maybe Hogan will be a baby face, but kind of a badass uh, dark side baby face, I guess. I mean, you, even so uh, he still makes, he, he makes sure to uh, kind of bring it like the, the morals, like the Hogan commandments or whatever. The of, Demandments. Demandments. Yes, I okay. believe that's what they're called. But he does. Um, he, it, it's like he's trying to inject some edge in the character because he tells Mean Gene to shut up, and he tells Jimmy Hart to not interrupt him. Mm-hmm. So he is putting an edge in there that's unusual for the character. Right. Gene tells Hogan that WCW has a restraining order, so Giant won't be coming in. Hogan decides to talk about how Vince McMahon has a giant ego. And uh, how Vince is dying and choking on his ego, but Hulkamania in WCW is growing ever stronger. Uh, He has a weird way of insulting someone that sounds like he's insulting himself. Almost almost immediately after insulting someone for their ego, Hogan likens shaving his mustache to defacing the Washington Monument <laughs> and setting fire to an American flag. Setting fire to an American flag. And as soon as he says the American flag thing, Gene Okerlund goes, whoa, whoa. Like, <laughs> even Gene Okerlund, who is a Hogan sycophant, as far as the character goes, right. is like, Hulkster, put on the fucking brakes here, buddy. <laughs> you can't just go on TV saying shaving your mustache is the same as burning an American flag. <laughs> That's... Oh, the great thing. I, and that's not even like the craziest thing he says. No, it's not even close because uh, as you heard in the clip, as he, as he winds up the promo, he says the last thing he's going to do with his immortality is go to heaven and beat gorgeous George <laughs> wrestling legend of like the 1940s and fifties. Yes. I, I might have those years wrong, but sometime in that era, it's the most bizarre thing I've ever heard Hulk Hogan say that he's, <laughs> what the fuck is he talking about? I, I don't know. And after I heard this, I, I tried to find any information about like, did they, did Hogan have a beef with gorgeous George? You can't even find any way they are ever associated with each other. Unless somebody told him recently, or he read in an article that gorgeous George was a bigger star in his time than Hulk Hogan was. 
So Hogan just wants to let it be known that if Gorgeous George, if they ever met in spirit form, <laughs> Gorgeous George would be put in his place by the power of Hulkamania. Yeah, that that does remind me that um, I, I don't know to what extent that he did this, but I know at this time, I around when the fans of WCW were kind of not a big, not really into Hogan, mm-hmm. that he had been doing a lot of reading of like the online uh, oh. newsletters and things like that. So maybe maybe the black it was like a direct reaction to people saying that they're tired of the red and yellow. That very well could be. We go outside the arena. Uh, pretty much as Hogan's wrapping up, we start hearing a siren, and we go outside the arena to see what's going on, and it's the Dungeon of Doom and their monster truck <laughs> trying to get into the arena. Literally as a cop car is like 10 minutes, or not 10 minutes, 10 feet behind them. Yeah. So they're trying to get the arena. The cops are chasing them. However, when they get to the arena door and start just banging on it, the cops don't seem to be, like, arresting them or getting out of their car. They just sort of wait to see what's going to happen. You know, they're as excited as anyone. Uh, So Hogan hears that the giant is outside the arena, and he uh, goes off to try to fight him. He he just kind of storms off, and Bischoff takes that opportunity to hype up Halloween Havoc. Compared to Fall Brawl, they are actively promoting this pay-per-view constantly. I mean, every every time I mention a commercial break, we're seeing a promo uh, that promises us, promises us that the man will become the machine. <laughs> then machine will become man. <laughs> uh, so they're, they're definitely hyping it up. We know what a few of the matches are going to be, unlike last time where we really only had the war games and the Flair-Arn Anderson match. Right. So they're, they're doing a much better job of making sure we know when the pay-per-view is and why we should buy it. Whether you think those reasons to buy it are valid or not, they're at least giving us their reasons. They're giving us a pitch, yeah. which is an improvement. Uh, something that we will have to kind of watch after Halloween Havoc is to see how many of the matches they mention having happened. Right. But because uh, with Fall Brawl, I, I don't even know how many matches they had. Uh, right. You, you only heard about what happened between Flair and Arn Anderson and the War Games. Yep. Um, so... I mean, what, what what do we have for Halloween Havoc for sure? We've got uh, Hogan versus the Giant in the in the Monster Truck Sumo match and the Championship match. Yep. We have uh, Flair. Well, we don't know that yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm oh. trying to think of what we have right oh, now. Luger Meng. Luger Meng, Macho Kamala. Yep. And if they both win, then those two versus each other. And I think that's it. I think that's it for confirmed matches as of this Nitro. Yeah, Sting is more concerned about like what everyone else does for Halloween Havoc but himself. Right. Probably because he's out beating the shark in 90 seconds and barely breaking a sweat because he's a sneaky guy. He's. <laughs> the cage above the ring starts being lowered as we're going to get the Ric Flair-Arn Anderson cage match that we were promised last week mm-hmm. uh, that Commissioner Nick Bockwinkle had authorized during a commercial break right. in record, record uh, pace. Uh, the cage being lowered gets a lot of pyro. They really want to make it exciting oh, that a yes. cage is coming down. That'll bring us to a commercial. And as we come back, uh, the announcers, uh, that'll bring us to a commercial. And when we come back, the cops are there in the announce booth. And they just kind of personally whisper into Bischoff's ear uh, to say that they are currently have the Giant and Hogan separated outside the arena. Why they had to like whisper this in Bischoff's ear is kind of strange. And it's this weird thing that they do only occasionally where they act on air. They acknowledge that Bischoff has a role of power 
in the organization besides just being an announcer. Right. Um, and certainly, you know, he's active in press conferences, and it's it's not a secret. It's not like Vince, who for years, you know, always had an authority figure and just didn't acknowledge his ownership at all. Yeah. Um, but they never outright just kind of play right into Bischoff having power, at least not at this era. Um, they're just sort of acknowledging it subtly during moments like this. Mm-hmm. Pepe is at the announcer's desk during the segment, and he's wearing a little Chicago Bears sweater and an adorable football helmet. I, Pepe has never looked better. It's <laughs> really cute. That, is, co- that oh. is an important thing for the Monday Nitro recaps is to make sure people know exactly what Pepe is wearing because Nitro definitely lets you know. Oh, absolutely. Arn Anderson, second time in a row, second week in a row, he gets the jobber entrance. Yep. Uh, he is in the cage already. We get the full Ric Flair entrance, of course. Um, what do you think of the WCW cage? This is, I think, my my first exposure to it. I'm used to the, of course, the blue bars mm-hmm. from WWF, and then later, you know, the standard WWF cage that they're still pre- pretty much using to this day. Yeah, and... Yeah, holy shit, this cage was awful. I mean, right away, when when they're in the ring, you can see that the cage is maybe like six inches taller than them. Yeah. It seemed like. And when they're going off the ropes, you, you can notice that the, that the cage isn't really connected. Yeah, it just sort of, there's four panels, and at the corners where the turnbuckles are, they don't really fasten to each other. Mm-hmm. They just sort of lay over the turnbuckles so that the it's it's very they're split the, the panels don't really come together yeah i don't know a better way of describing it but it looks like garbage mm-hmm. it looks like someone made a cage that was too small to fit over the ring so instead of they just took all the segments that were attached and unattached them so that it can kind of lay over the ring without really fitting properly right it's it really really looks terrible um, so I don't know when we'll get a cage match next, but I really hope that it doesn't look like that because it's it's really, really bad. <laughs> Flair comes in real hot and unloads on Arn early in the match. Uh, it's kind of chops versus punches mm-hmm. as we go to a commercial break. We just had a commercial not but 45 seconds ago. Yeah. Uh, so it's baffling that we're going to one already. Uh, and by the time we come back, Flair is just about like as we come back, he gets a spine buster. So Arn has somehow seized control. Um, and both guys already are selling, like, extreme fatigue as if they've been in this match for 20 minutes. Yeah. So already you're like, holy shit, they're going to just rush this entire match, aren't they? Uh-huh. And they sure do uh, because they're they're a little bit back-and-forth action. Um, they show us that during the break, Arn had tried escaping the ring, but he got crotched on the top rope. Uh, Mongo expresses some sympathy, but Bobby... <laughs> Bobby hilariously says, he made his cage, now he has to fight in it. (laughs) (laughs) I really liked that. They take turns throwing each other into the cage. Uh, Flair Flair gets a really angry looking uh, Flair strut. And it's sort of like when he did the really intense woo in that episode recently during a promo. Yeah. I like when he does his classic flair things, but makes them look really angry. (laughs) There's nothing funnier than a guy just strutting angrily. He hits a pretty nice delayed vertical suplex on Arn, too, that uh, looked really great. Yeah. Showed off that despite getting older, uh, he's still really strong because Arn is not a small man. And and also uh, a, a sign that this is not exactly a, a, a top-tier Ric Flair cage match is that 
he does not get busted open. No, he does not. I, I was waiting for it. I don't know if uh, I would imagine that they have like a no blood thing. I'm not really sure. That was my guess too. Um, Cause like I said, they take turns throwing each other into the cage. And as soon as Flair's face hit the cage, mm-hmm. I was looking for him. I was trying to spot where he was going to blade. And then he just never did. And I was shocked. Yeah. Yeah, there was another moment where Arn does the the classic uh, rubbing his face over yep. the cage. Yep. And and when he didn't bleed there, I was I that's when I knew I was like, nope, he's not going to. Pillman comes down to the ring and tries climbing into the cage, but Flair manages to nail him and he falls to the outside. Uh, Flair tries to put on the figure four, but Arn gets him with an eye gouge. Uh, he then hits Flair with some foreign object. Looks like. Not brass knuckles, but knuckles mm-hmm. of some kind. Yeah. Uh, the announcers all miss the fact that he used brass knuckles until the three is counted. Yeah. And then it's like Bischoff remembers that that was the ending to the match. <laughs> and then he's like, he hit him with the knuckles. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, why didn't you mention it for a second? Like, it, it seems so bizarre that they waited till he was pinned. Right. And they all just forgot that that was the finish and they weren't paying enough attention. Really shoddy job by all three announcers in uh-huh. explaining the finish of this match. Flair shortly after invades the announcer's booth and he starts screaming that he next is, week. He is pissed he's off. fired up. <laughs> and he starts yelling that next week he wants uh, Arn Anderson and Pillman in a handicap match. He will fight them both himself. Uh, he, he slams. Oh, he also, though he does say he'll fight him himself, but he says he's going to scour the world for a partner if he has to. No, I, I like the fact that he's like, I'm so mad. I will fight the two of you in a handicap match unless I can find a partner. <laughs> right. Then it'll be a tag team match. But if I can't, he emphasizes the two options that he has for himself. <laughs> and then in slamming Bischoff's headset, uh, which he had been using the microphone on, slamming it down to the desk, he actually breaks Bischoff's headset. So Bischoff now has to awkwardly hold the pieces to his head for the rest of the episode. Yeah. Uh, the announcers at this point just start talking about uh, what they just saw. They talk about Sting a little bit. They worry about Hogan embracing the dark side. And it goes on for like three and a half minutes, or at least mm-hmm. it feels like it. Yeah. So this whole episode that has felt rushed at every opportunity, all of a sudden at the end, they've got a bunch of extra time that they've got to just vamp and and bullshit because they've got extra time. I, I When I got to this point, I thought that like it has to really suck for that Chicago crowd. That they oh, have yeah. the the main events over, the lights are still up and everything as as though the show is still going, but they're not getting anything. They don't hear what the announcers are saying, so they kind of got like a pretty pretty shitty finish for them. They got a pretty shitty show. Yeah, this is the end of the episode, and uh, so at this point, I feel safe in saying this is the worst episode of Nitro we've watched. Yeah, I made a note as far as what we're promised for next week. Yeah. Uh, that we were going to have Diamond Dallas Page versus Johnny B. Bad for the United for the television title, and then Chris Benoit is going to debut against Eddie Guerrero, and I was really excited because because this show was so bad. I I liked the highlight was the promise of what next week's going to bring. Yeah. It, oh man. So that being said, uh, what was your match of the night? Which of these turds uh, was polished the best for you? <sighs> Well, I mean, Arn and Flair was longer than a minute, yeah. so it. I put Arn versus Flair by default. I'm gonna go with uh, Sabu versus Mister JL because there was some decent, cool spots in it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a great match. Those two have probably had better matches uh, with each other, yeah, than the one we saw. But 
and for prob- lack of a better choice, that's what I went with. And, and probably some of the best action is when they were fighting afterwards and we didn't see it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who was your MVP? My MVP was the Disco Inferno. Yeah. Uh, the Disco Inferno pretty much was the only really legitimately entertaining part of the show. Uh, with the boom box and putting the hat on uh, Hawk's shoulder pads. The, the the short time that he was out there was entertaining. Everything else around it's kind of was just trying its best to play off the Hogan giant hype up pretty much. Yeah, I'm really tempted to switch mine to Disco because he was the the person I legitimately enjoyed the most. Mm-hmm. But I was trying to vary it up. I've already named Disco Inferno as an MVP, and, yeah. and this was such a short appearance. So I decided to put my pick into just kayfabe terms. And so I went with Sting as my MVP. He okay. had a show opening promo. He squ- he beat a real big guy and retained his U.S. championship <laughs> right. uh, in a really easy match. Uh-huh. And then he uh, managed to look tough against Lex and uh, get his friends into a situation that apparently is going to solve their problems. <laughs> um, so we'll see if that plays out. <laughs> uh, but so for for in looking at it just in kayfabe terms... Uh, is which is how I had to do it because I really struggled to name an MVP for this episode. Yeah. So I came up with Sting. Okay. <laughs> In our Raw report, Owen Hart, the British Bulldog, Yokozuna defeated uh, Shawn Michaels, Diesel, and The Undertaker. Bret Hart versus Isaac Yankum from SummerSlam was shown in its entirety, but with new commentary by Vince McMahon and Jerry the King Lawler because they were kind of... They were they watched the entire match, but they did new commentary over it that was instead hyping the King's feud with Bret Hart. Huh. And uh, Fatu defeated Skip. It was a really shitty episode <laughs> of Raw. I mean, I actually watched it on the network just because I when I read those results, I was like, wow, that sounds terrible. Yeah. And I watched it, and it was terrible. <laughs> so both shows with huge off weeks this week where nothing really was that appealing. Uh, And in the ratings, they each tied with a 2.6, which is the largest total size for a wrestling audience to date. Oh, okay. So that's kind of interesting. And that's what they get for a reward. In other WCW news, uh, on October the 7th, uh, Guerrero and Dean Malenko would have a rematch on Saturday night. From, mm-hmm. So that's the rematch that Malenko demanded in their match that we saw. Oh, that's right. For this show. And it was supposedly, although I Saturday night's not on the network, so I wasn't able to find it, it's supposedly a great match. So hopefully those Saturday nights get on the network at some point because that'd be, that'd be fun to watch. In other wrestling news, on October the 12th, WWE would learn that The Undertaker had a broken orbital bone above his eye from a match with Mabel. And uh, it's kind of notable... That uh, that happened because it was it was sort of a weekend full of bad news for WWF. As the following day, Bill Watts would quit after three whole weeks being in charge of creative <laughs> of the company. Well, that's that's not really that bad of news for them. <laughs> it was uh, he was told that he would be in charge of creative, and apparently, he and Vince had uh, disagreements over what in charge meant exactly. Oh. <laughs> So Vince had promised that he wouldn't meddle in Bill Watts' decision-making, but of course anyone who knows anything about Vince McMahon knows meddling in W... I mean, it's what he does. He can't help it. Right. WWF is what it is for better and for worse because he meddles in it constantly. Yeah. It is a one-man show over there, and it always... It will be until the man dies. Mm -hmm. Later that same night, WWF Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels 
would get his ass kicked in a parking lot of a bar in Syracuse, New York. Uh, so that will fuck him up pretty badly. He ends up with a black eye that you can see in a few Raws and I think a pay-per-view as well because he doesn't really take a lot of time off due to it. And also, I believe on the 10th or 11th later on that week, uh, Vader is officially notified of his release from WCW. Oh, good. So there is about a month's worth where he is on the sidelines, uh, (laughs) A-W-O-L, as Bischoff liked to say. But nope, he is officially gone. So that brings us to the end of a uh, pretty disappointing week for wrestling in general. Um, (laughs) Nothing a lot uh, that either company should be really proud of at this point. I mean, I guess WCW can point to the fact that they tied Raw and that the wrestling audience in general was so big. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the ratings uh, war, they're doing fine. So they must be happy about that. But if I hope that they weren't happy with this show because it was it was uh, we last week uh, enacted the Hall of Fame this truly belongs in the Nitro Hall of Shame. <laughs> I don't think that we'll actually collect a list of the worst episodes because that just sounds too negative. And yeah. I want to, you know, we tease, but we, we like to be positive about <laughs> WCW. And there's a lot of good things that we've seen. Mm-hmm. This week was just, whew, man. Yeah. I would not want recommend anyone except for a completionist uh, to watch this show. <laughs> so if we provide any service to the uh, 20 years of Nitro universe, I hope it's telling them to avoid this episode. <laughs> right. With that, I think we're going to close it for today. Dave, you got anything else you'd like to say? No, but I'm just hoping that next week with a couple of matches we're told that just is, I mean, there's nowhere to go but up after this episode. So Absolutely. Next week, we will continue to build the Halloween Havoc here where the big boys play on 20 Years of Nitro. Ladies and gentlemen, the following contest, live from Chicago, is for the United States Heavyweight Championship, set for one fall. Introducing first the challenger, representing the Dungeon of Doom. He's from Tsunami and weighs over 500 pounds, the Shark!